Hi, I'm Dr. Michelle Lapham, a.k.a. the Drunk Phytologist, and I use the pronoun she, her. I'm Ethan Lapham, a.k.a. Takoon363, and I use he, him. And I'm Christian Venetis, a.k.a. Action Economist, and I use he, him. And this is Natural 20. Natural 20 is a podcast that discusses the lore, history, and biology of Dungeons and Dragons, creatures, and monsters. Natural 20 is also an adult podcast featuring adult language. You have been warned. I'm really excited to talk about mimicry. You're biology. you're a little bit excited, I I'm, can tell. I'm really excited. So guess what? Mimicry in biology is real common. Like yeah. a lot. It's characterized, like defined as the superficial resemblance of two or more organisms that are not closely related taxonomically. It's not quite accurate anymore. Sure. Right. But that's like the original sort of definition. But the idea is is that there is an organism that is pretending to look like something else right. to gain an advantage. Right? right. That is the most basic kind of idea. And they are not actually related asterisks. Put an asterisk against that one. Sure. Well, I mean, when you say related, like, this is one creature trying to mimic a different creature. Yes. But they, they, they don't have any connection to each, each other. other they, they name both be, uh, you know, a fish. But yes. it's like two wildly different fish or right. birds or whatever. Right. And as I said, right. we're going to put a small asterisk on that one. In most cases, yes. There are d- several different major relationships. Some of the most studies is usually the advantages one-sided. Yeah. So there is the mimic that gains an advantage by resembling what they call a model. Okay. And then there is a third party in this, which is what they call the receiver, that is tricked by said mimic. In right. Some, yeah. In some fashion. And so this was first sort of the discovery of mimicry and butterflies in the 19th century. Sure. So this okay. one was first looked at, but since then we found, no, it's way more common than that. <laughs> well, whenever I think of like mimicry in nature, I always think of like the stick bug. Yes. Right? Yes. Which then always makes me think of uh, a bug's life yes now one scene is i am the only stick with eyeballs oh, i'm the only stick with eyeballs yep yeah so there's lots of plants and animals that do that and so then in many cases organisms can be in the same class order even family taxonomically speaking sure and but and there are plants which can mimic animals and vice versa right right sure one that appears as something else but that is not the only types of mimicry sound okay smell behavioral mimicry and even biochemical mimicry those sort of in those orders is when you I was going to say biochemical is probably the one that we recognize the least because you literally have to like let's pull out the science equipment. Yeah, exactly. Or know the least about. Or know the least about. Like likely is probably more common than we know just because of. We're we're going to stick this mammal into this mass spec and this plant (laughs) in and see if it really is the same same chemical. chemical. They smell the same. Well, no. When you when you said sound uh, or or smell mimicry, I immediately thought corpse flower. Yes, you are right. (laughs) Usually, the key element in every sort of situation is the deception of the mimic perpetrated upon a third party. This is how it differs for camo- from camouflage. Oh, okay. Okay, because camouflage is I'm camouflaging into my environment. Okay, so, Somehow, this, so this I'm is... I'm blending in. Okay, whereas this is specifically to fool another specific creature. Right. So uh, this so is where... To the legal, the party of the first party yeah, yeah, is yeah, ignorant yeah. The of the mimicry by the party of the second party, party yeah. right? who is fooling party of the third, third party, party. Yep. Right. that it is party of the first. And right. that's how they kind of distinguish it. On There's actually multiple different organisms involved in this sort of interaction. Okay, that's a, okay. I get I get that. Mm-hmm. Because, it, yes, it is a type of camouflage, but it's because they're specifically pretending to be something they're not. Right. Not just... In order to gain an advantage. In it's not necessarily just the environment. Not just the environment. Yeah, it's not I'm blending in to avoid being eaten. It's I'm blending right. in to like avoid this specific thing. Yes. So like how octopuses or um, cuttlefish, cuttlefish. cuttlefish mm-hmm. sort of blend into just about but that's not the same thing. That's not the that, same that's thing. That's camouflage. Yeah, because okay. that's just camouflage. So here's a quote here from Britannica.com so for the exactly Britannica is pretty, sure. pretty nice article but oh, it was we that won on, uh, Wheel of Fortune. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so this third party may be the collective potential predators upon the mimic potential prey of the mimic or even one sex of the mimic's own species oh wow and i do have examples of that oh wow so you were mentioning the first two make sense the cuttlefish for example there are male cuttlefish so male cuttlefish have more arms than female cuttlefish okay they have two more arms than female cuttlefish two more? okay so what they will do is they will hide two of their arms and take on female coloration Right. To avoid larger territorial males and then go have like a one night stand with the other males like See, that's, you know. (laughs) 
So that's that why is, you ask for consent. This is why I said. Oh no, the a, consent is fine. It's more that they're like there. There's a whole like polycule situation, but not everybody's in on the plan. plan. Not everybody's in on the plan. And so that's why I said there was an asterisk on the. They're not related to each other or not in the same species. Right. Not except. Except not, not always. Always. Not always. So because of the variety of situation in which mimicry occurs, a formal definition must rest upon the effect of certain key communicative signals upon the appropriate receiver and the resultant evolution effect upon the emitters of the signal. I know that was very complicated. So part of the first a little part. complicated, yes. First part of the second part. But mimicry may be defined as a situation which virtually two identical signals emitted by two different organisms, right? right. So two different appearances. Or smells or sounds. Or smells or sound or whatever. Whatever sensory. Yeah. Have in common at least one receiver. Okay. Say a predator, for example. So if we talk about the butterflies, right? right. Two butterflies that look like each other and both get eaten by the same bird. That reacts in the same manner to both signals. So because it is advantageous to react in that matter for one of them. So that's like the right, model. Right. So the, the common one with the butterflies is that, is it, I think it's like monarchs? No, monarchs and viceroys. Yeah. So monarchs are poisonous. A viceroy butterfly looks almost identical to a monarch. Right, but they're not poisonous. But they are not poisonous. So and they like, want to look like, the, like that so that any predator would be like, like, oh, I shouldn't eat that, it's poisonous. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. difficult even for humans to tell without getting up close and personal with these butterflies. Like right. It is a very close yeah. yes. And so that's one of the reasons that it says here the distinction between camouflage and mimicry is not always clear if you only have the model and the mimic. Right. It's when you have the receiver this third priority right. that's the, being the tricked right. is when it and once you know what those reactions are understood then you can be like okay this is actually a specifically evolved right. either behavior. Yeah, so collect, collect the testimony of the party of the third. Yeah, yeah. Collect the testimony of the party of so, the third. So you know, the viceroy is the one doing the mimicking here because it's getting away with not being eaten right. because the bird has learned, hey, if I eat that, I feel real bad. It's going to feel real bad. It's mm-hmm. going to be a bad time. So there are different... Except for Louis over there. He keeps eating them. Yes. Louis, Louis just doesn't care. So there are basic types of mimicry. Yeah. So they're in different categories. So Batesian mimicry. So this is from... They own a motel. I was going to say, you, you were own a motel and you pretend to be your grandmother. Uh, your yes. mother. So 1862, the English naturalist Henry W. Bates... Oh, that's why. ...published an explanation for unexpected similarities in appearances of these Brazilian forest butterflies. And so they were looking at two different families. The era when the, you know, wild English biologists roamed the plains. Yes. yes, it's true. In their natural habitat. In their natural habitat. Which is other people's natural habitat. Exactly. Correct. So basically he had seen that one family of butterflies, which was a super poison, like super unpalatable to birds. Yeah. And then another family, which looked almost identical, totally edible, got avoided by both. This had he to found do... out they were edible by eating them. Right. Yeah, he found out the hard way. The This form of Megan McCree in which it... Many... Def- Many toilets were destroyed in the, in the, right. in the work of this research. It's the reason that Brazil refused to you know, acknowledge indoor plumbing for a century. So this form... Or, or, or English researchers, for that matter. So Batesian mimicry right is specifically a defenseless organism that bears a close resemblance to a noxious or like okay. conspicuous yeah. organism. So then, Mullerian mimicry. It is a bunch of species, all of which are inedible, but they all resemble each other. Okay. No one re- And it wasn't until 1870 Fritz Mueller, sure. a German zoologist, suggested an explanation to the so-called what's called Bates's paradox, because Bates couldn't explain that either, because he studied butterflies, he was an entomologist, said might lie in the advantage to one inedible species in having a predator learn from another. So once the predator has learned to avoid a particular cutter pattern with which it made initial contact, it would then avoid all similarly patterned species, edible or inedible. Okay. So it was and one so, of those like, hey, the guys with yellow stripes don't get eaten. We should get yellow we stripes. We should be we should be like yellow stripes, yeah. Right. And so go down to the chop shop and get painted. Well, I mean, and if I remember correctly, in general, in most natural habitats, if you have very, very bright, like obviously noticeable colors, that's you saying, Hey, you don't want to eat me. Right. And so with Bates <clears throat> was looking at the well, all of these are kind of inedible, or all of these and but then there was a bunch that were unpalatable but not super poisonous, right? right? But they all had these all similar the kind of markers. Markings, right? right, and so it After seems the butterflies, like, he just couldn't get away with licking that many toads. Right, yeah, no, exactly. it's true. It's you have individual, uh, certain individuals that are sacrificed to educating basically an entire predator population. Right. That this whole collection of species has right. these warning signals. So the tendency of an inedible or a noxious species to resemble each other is called Mullerian mimicry. Okay. 
Okay. So it's sort of Batesian, but on a larger scale. Right, exactly. So it's Everybody like, in the neighborhood figures out that if you yeah. put out, you know, yeah. put, put out the, the yard sign. Put, put your example, trash like out on Monday. And, yeah. The poison dart frogs. Right. There are tons of different species of poison dart frog. Right. And all of them are poison. Poison. It's all get out. It's, it's right in the name. It's right, it's the right in the name. It's but right then the it's like, okay, but they all kind of resemble each other. The shape's all pretty much the same, same. but they've all got some, some. They're not all red or all blue, but, but they're all bright. Yeah, all bright colors. I'm wondering if at one point it's basically evolution saying sometimes it's not enough that they're poisonous they actually have to look like it too yeah right it's another example of yes our favorite thing convergent evolution yeah meanwhile so, i'm picturing like because that's the thing to me is it's like yes with today's science like we take a swab of you know like a, a mucus of an animal mm-hmm. and like run tests on it to determine it's poisonous but i'm fair and, and maybe in the 1870s they had a certain amount of that 1880s but like there still was a certain amount of like we're just gonna lick this frog yeah no so i'm was... just picturing somebody with like a bucket full of frog but like a wine tasting where you oh, like no. lick it and then like throw the frog in a different bucket okay. kind of thing. No, no. Yeah. Just this one. Ah, oh, yes, this one's a nice nutty after dinner taste. This, uh, so a, a lot of floral notes on this on this right. poisonous frog. Okay, so then this one um, isn't named after people, but I think is uh, pretty basic. Aggressive mimicry. Okay. Go on. Go Going on. back to the crypto bros. Mm-hmm, crypto bros. It's the advantage to a predator to resemble its prey or parasite its host. Sure. So it's 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 the wolf in sheep's clothing. And that's what they, they use that exact term in yeah. here. And so, so that, would that include things like orchid mantises? Point, or is that a different type of mimicry? That might be because so for example, they use here for example cuckoo, mm-hmm. like cuckoo's egg, because like a cuckoo will lay an egg that resembles that of its host, and but then leave the egg there, and then the poor parents have to deal with this baby cuckoo that outgrows and out eats their own kid right. because it's humongous. Right. And it also will push out the other babies, and birds are dumb, and are like, okay, this is our kid. Jimmy grew up real fast. Real fast. What happened to his siblings? Mm-hmm. And unlike the you know the more famous you know, arrival of an unknown infant, in this case, you don't get super bird. Are you talking about Starman? Uh, it's talking about Superman, you know, just showing up in the middle of Kansas. Super and, bird. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he is a super bird, but it's not in the way that you would like him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. Mm-hmm. It's it's if Superman just ate all your food and flew through your barn and, you know, right. trashed everything and then bailed. So, like, anglerfish is another. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Type yeah. of aggr- aggressive Look nigger. at my big glowy worm. Yeah. Little glowy worm. Don't you want some of this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Behold my mimic. Yes. Yeah. Behold the mimic. As I said, it's very... The fish mimic. The fish mimic. Auto mimicry. This is the advantage... You, you pretend to be a Buick? Uh, yeah, right. Advantage gained by some members of a species from its resemblance to others of the same species. So there's your cuttlefish example. Right. Cuttlefish example. That's like more behavioral, but it's still sort of it's the same thing. Sure. Males of many bees and wasps are defenseless because they don't have stingers. Ah, so they pretend to be but, females. But they look like females, right? You okay. know, like they may be a little bit bigger, but they're protected by predators because of their resemblance to females. Right. And are equipped with stingers. Some butterflies are able to gain protection protection against predators through the ability to absorb, tolerate, and retain in the immature larval stage, like poisons from yeah. the plants they eat on. So like monarchs do this. There are plenty of other caterpillars of different moth species, like the hemlock moth. Right, they're eating a plant that is poisonous, and so animals Shout are like, out. I don't need to eat that because I know it's poisonous. Oh, but I also can't eat the adult version because it's right. still poisonous. It's funny yes. how many of these ad- adaptations really just boil down to either, I'm going to eat you, or I don't, or don't, don't eat, eat me. me. Yes. Well, and uh, shout out to Matt Well Jackson for educating me on the hemlock moth <laughs> yes. and giving me an example for this episode. Individuals with subpopulations of such butterflies may fail to acquire such protection as a result of feeding on non-poisonous plants, but they're avoided by predators because there are other individuals who did eat poisonous plants. So even though it's within like that same species. To the, uh, the advantage being, I don't know which ones are going to be poisonous. So. I'm just not going to eat any of them. Why don't I just sit here and die? Everything's poisonous. <laughs> right. So like there's other forms that don't quite fit in these other major categories, like coral snakes, for example, mm-hmm. or like false coral snakes, because it's not identical, right? It's not an identical pattern, but it's similar enough. It's, yeah, that's the old, you know, red on yellow, kill a fellow, red on black, you're mm-hmm. okay, Jack. Yeah. yeah. Coral snakes and uh, king snakes. Coral and king snakes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Scarlet king snakes. Live in Florida. Yeah. Something I learned growing up that it was like, if a snake is coming towards you and it's red, yellow, and black, if you get a chance, I mean, avoid getting bit at all. Sure. But like, if you're walking up and you're like, I don't know if that snake is venomous or if it's just hanging out here and, you know, I don't have to worry as much. 
Right. And it's like, okay, hang on, look at the stripes. Okay, yeah, that one's fine. It's a Scarlet Kingsnake, it's sure. not gonna hurt me, I'm not gonna hurt it, everybody's cool. Oh no, that's the Venomous one, and he did not be here. Yep. <laughs> because they're potent. Oh, sure. Oh, absolutely. They're also what they call, like, sort of warning systems, right, which are involved in mimicry a lot of the time. You know, we talk about visual ones, but there's also chemical basis for, like, repulsion. For example, plants are nature's chemists, yes. and they make a lot of things that can kill us. <laughs> Yes. And other things. Yeah. They just make a lot of chemicals. Things that, and some of them work, and some of them we eat them more. Like capsaicin, which is like, mammals won't eat me. And then humans came. Well, you know. Mm-hmm. And then the human nation attacked. <laughs> but then but then hot ones came about. Yeah. But then <laughs> and there the are... Then the fire nation attacked. Yeah, and then the fire nation attacked. But then there are animals which have evolved to be able to feed on some of these things, which usually would be super poisonous. Then there's some animals which produce secondary... That we we call them secondary metabolites as a technical term. Mm-hmm. And what that is, is like, okay, a primary metabolite is that this is something I need to make to live. Right. ATP, sugars. Sugars, whatever. Sure. DNA, protein. Secondary metabolite is this is something that is useful for me and may give me some sort of advantage, but it is not absolutely required to be alive. So there are some animals that store, that makes similar kind of substances to plants and they store these in glandular pockets like toads and salamanders and insects right. or in musk glands like beavers and muskrats. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's where we get the best false vanilla. Yeah. Mm. Oh, that's off, true. Straight yeah. off the beaver. Straight <laughs> You know, I forget that fact sometimes and then someone reminds me and then I'm disgusted all over again. And then yeah. I'm upset again. Because it's not just anywhere on the beaver. Oh no. Nope. I don't know. Nope. Right there so, next to the tail. You ooh, do the math. Ooh, it's warm. So arthropod. It's warm vanilla. Warm don't, imitation vanilla. Please it's warm stop. Imitation vanilla. Please, please stop. Don't listen. Look. If I have to be upset, then all of you do. Listen, okay. Listeners, don't look it up. Please don't. Or Just do. I know what yourself. you're into. I'm not, I'm not here. To oh, shame. We're not here. We're not here to shame you. It's true. I'm not here to vanilla shame. So <laughs> insects are notable for the production of excretory substances that serves as a means to defense. Okay. So that's right. your bombardier beetles. Bombardier beetles. Yeah. Yeah. Stuff like that. Millipedes secrete a bitter substance that repels birds. Okay. And it's only slightly different from different bitter substances that plants make. What does it smell like? Axe body spray? Like, what, might, like what is it? I'm not sure. Yeah. It no, that's bitter. resentment. It's slightly different. I mean, it's, it's probably true. It's probably true. It's also true. So, and that... Oh, to shame. <laughs> yeah. This is quinzazoline, which is actually only found in palm trees for some reason. You know, What's it so called? Quinazoline. Quinazoline. Mm-hmm. I had that in a, I had a, had that in an Italian restaurant once. Yeah. It's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, and quinazoline, it's where they toast the subs. Yeah, it's true. It's a special so ingredient. Then they got a pepper bar. <laughs> that's that's quinazoline was the the ingredient that we're speaking about. Speaking about cursed content <laughs> that <laughs> created the sponge monkey yeah. licking palm trees. Oh mm-hmm. goodness, no idea. Highly doubted psychoactive. But oh wait, we were it. talking about science. Please continue. Yeah, there's also ones. So it's in palm trees. Is, is there something that's like mimicking that compound? Millipede. Huh. Mm. So palm trees are bitter. That's what I've learned. Yeah, that is what we learned. And repel, repel birds. I guess. Well, now that I think about it, I don't think I've ever seen a bird in a palm tree. Yeah, not really. Yeah. Well, so. and also they make a they make a mention here that it's just just because the fact a certain chemical substance is restricted to a specific function, such as sex attraction, does not necessarily mean it evolves solely for that purpose. Sure, it might like, be a, a like a byproduct. Yeah. So like sometimes that's something to think about, where it's like where uh, and I've talked about this before, where it's like when we're talking about like cleaners, right, or like antimicrobials or anti insect decides and they're like oh it's bad for you it must be toxic i'm like no this evolved to kill insects and to vend against insects and stuff it doesn't bother mammals right? which is also the reason that you do sometimes see like the, oh it's plant-based it's safer i'm like it's not literally the same thing not, yeah not necessarily actually it might even be worse. worse you know because sometimes there's multiple levels where it's the aspirin for example yeah Aspirin is um, acyl salicylic acid. Salicylic acid is a is a signaling hormone in plants. It was it did not evolve. Right, it was that to was not his, yeah, yeah, the, be a painkiller. Right, right. It did not. You know, that was not its purpose. Its purpose. As you was, said, this is a. So what the, plant came up with the active ingredient in Viagra, uh, and what was it using that for? I actually have to go look. I, I'm upset because I'm going to have to look this up later. I know. I get, I I asked you a question because now it's a question. <laughs> 
you must answer. Okay. Even Spider-Man. though you don't want to, you must do it. Yes, it's true. It's yeah. true. It's the hard read. Yeah, but the whole plant-based thing, too, is that like, they get away with, like, the, oh, it's... The it's, spongy it's, shaft tree. Yeah, that's right. But it's, yeah, then they can get away with the you know, ingredients instead of being, like, the chemical names. It's like, oh, it's, you know, willow bark extract. Yeah. Yeah, it's acetyl salicylic acid. That's why we chew, chewed willow twigs when we yeah. were in pain. Yeah. Right. So, for example, like, milkweed contain um, what are called cardinolids, which okay. if you have too much of, will cause your heart to stop. Okay, and, so know, don't take a lot of that. Hence not the great. Yeah, yeah. Like cardio. But if in heart failure and stuff like that, if an animal eats it. However, if you eat a little bit, you just vomit your guts out. Okay. So if, say, you are a butterfly, yeah. the larva that feeds on this. Because as a larva, this doesn't bother you. Okay, sure. They have evolved to eat as much as they want. So, so you they eat as consume... much as you want, and then you, when you become a butterfly, you're now full of it. And yep. Yeah, you're full of the heart-stopping drug. You may not live, but neither will the thing that eats you. Right. Yep. There's a lot There's a lot of that nature of, like, I'm going to take you with me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It am true. And that was the whole thing with, like, the hemlock moths. It's the same yes, concept the where same they, concept. they eat literal like hemlock the right. weed the poisonous mm-hmm. thing and then when birds eat them they are poisoned by hemlock of course there's not any true complete reproduction because there are plenty of evolutionary instances which we call an arms race where something has evolved to get around it you and know. then some bird develops you know iocane mm-hmm. powder resistance and we're inconceivable back. Well, we're right back where we started well for example like there is the bee eater family of birds they have figured out how to eat in bees the bees right. even if they're like, getting stung or whatever they have because the if I remember right, they have like the super long bill and like the crossover. But they have evolved behavioral mechanisms for removing the stinger. Okay. Before swallowing a prey. And so like rabbits are able to eat extremely poisonous mushrooms from the genus Amanita, which is toadstools, de- like, toad yeah. like death caps, like real, real bad. And they're like, whatever. So fine. there's your impressive feat to bring it back to D&D. You know, the Wild Beyond the Witchlight adds the rabbit folk race. Eat all the freaky mushrooms you want. Yes. And creep your party out. It's true. Oh yeah, you or can Real good time. One of the two. Yeah, or you could tri- trick somebody where it's just <laughs> like, oh, roulette. like trick some bad guy. It's like, okay, you want like food or whatever? Or share? Yeah. Magical trip. I've share got these mushrooms. Let's like, just yeah, share this with me. Just put all the mushrooms in one bag. Mm-hmm. I've developed an immunity to. Mm-hmm. Cremini's, whatever. Yes. Let's, you, it's the world's most horrible game of uh, Skittle or M&M. Oh, yeah. Where you dump the Skittles and the M&M's in the same bag. and it's like They're all Reese's Pieces. <laughs> Magical LSD, instant death. Yeah. yeah, but like some of these mimicry things are warning systems. We associate with bright colors, like we were talking about. Yeah, right? yeah, right? like the poison dart for us. But yeah, they can default. also be olfactory, right. acoustic, so or behavioral. New world skunks. Sure, They're yeah. black and white. They're pretty recognizable. Yeah, to potential predators. They f- have a highly stylized display dance. Don't come near me or else. And so you will have other things that will mimic that kind of thing. Right? They do the I stomp must... and like the back feet. Yeah, the isn't air. there like a I want to say like a badger that looks like a skunk maybe? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. I to an extent remember. like they're they're both I believe they're both mustelids so they yeah, both, both have that like, body both shape. both have that and... body shape. Well, I mean in the case of the badger they, mm-hmm. they substituted the scent gland with the ridiculous I don't give a shit attitude. You know? Yeah, it's true. And also as I recall they've got some pretty funky peaks. Well, true. and you have acoustic warning signals, rattlesnakes. And then, um, which you have behavioral mimics for, that there are false rattlesnakes that, that will wiggle the tail. They'll have a tail that doesn't actually rattle, but they'll wiggle it to look like a yeah. rattler, and so you avoid them. Which, actually, I saw a video, I don't know what it's from, it was like a clip from a BBC show that it was this, like, beautifully camouflaged snake, and it had this long, like a rattlesnake that has, like, the hollow tip. Instead, yeah. this was like a long, sort of like a feathery, sort of worm-looking thing. Okay. And this bird flies up to grab it and the snake just lunges out and takes the bird down. Oh, wow. And it was like, yeah, okay, that's that's new. Haven't seen that before. Yeah, a little yeah. terrifying. This is a good example. So there's moths of sort of these two different families that are foul-tasting but would be vulnerable to nocturnal predation by bats were it not for the emission of a series of high-pitched clicks audible yes. to bats okay. made when the moths hear the bats own ultrasound like navigational policies. Basically, they just start cursing at the bats like, don't you right. do it. Yeah, and it's the sonar ping and it would be like having an, a return signal that just nullifies right. which theoretically is possible. So that moth clicks actually do serve as warnings is borne by the fact that captive bats ignore thrown mealworms which they love and will eat when the mealworms are accompanied by 
these moth clicks. Oh, wow. Recorded the moth sounds, and we're like, here's a tasty treat. Great, grab it. Play the moth click, throw the treat. They're like, nope. No, nope. I ain't even that. So several species of edible moths now produce these clicks. Right. And so they are regarded as these Batesian mimics right. of the unpalatable species. Sort of the role of the receiver in all of this is having to learn this warning signal through experience. That was the thing I was interesting, uh, interested about. Like, is there a point where where other where the receiver species in this case sort of gets to that one where like, hey, I'm on to you, and then like that adaptation doesn't work anymore? Presumably, I mean, there's probably something, but that's the thing is, it's like, is it worth the risk if there's other food? I would imagine in certain cases it's more like, oh, I can just eat them all now because I've developed an immunity to mm-hmm. this whatever thing. it is, yeah, yeah. whatever well, this is. And it's sort of like they and they mention that here on that they must learn the significance of the warning signal through experience. If the predator is a slow learner, yeah. Or if the warning signal is not sufficiently distinct to avoid confusion right. with beneficial sensory impressions that the predator receives. Several experiences may be necessary. So natural selection will favor warning systems that are devoid of ambiguity. Very, very clear. I'm bright don't, red, don't eat me. Don't yes. eat me. Experimentation has shown that certain birds and animals at least are capable of acquiring and retaining knowledge of some of these sort of mechanisms from, from a single from, experience. I was, uh, oh, okay. I was going to say, not from generation to generation. Just yeah, like, but just okay. like individual ones. Like, but you, you, only need to, you only need to experience it once and you get you figured it out. Combination of warning systems with concealing coloration also happens where it's the you acoustic and chemical warning warning systems along with sort of being camouflaged. I was going to say the, the camouflage example is like, I don't know if they're litter moths, but they're in that same like color scale where they are like completely brown and they sort of mimic. But if something gets close enough, they open the wings and they have the big bright oh, eye spot. They yeah. mentioned they they're called tiger moths. Yes. Which the hind wings are yellow and orange, but kept by these streak brown forewings. So right? the idea is like, okay, oh, I'm this. camouflaged until it's like, oh no, it's spotted me. I'm like, ha-ha! Ah, shit! Don't eat that. And so they have some more specific examples like I was talking about earlier that we'd get into on sort of the Batesian mimicry. Something very tasty is pretending to be something not tasty. Bees, wasps, and hornets are well protected from most predators because they have warning coloration, but they're mimicked by insects of lots of different orders. Right. 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 Lots of things will look like them to be like, no, please. Ladybird beetles and leaf beetles are inedible, but there's like a whole group of other ones that will look similar. There's a whole group of Philippine cockroaches that mimic these kinds of beetles and have undergone profound modification to achieve sim- similarity. So to simulate the short rounded form of ladybirds, the large hide and wings of the roaches are rolled and folded in a manner unparalleled in other insects, like up underneath. Oh, weird. So then the order of Lepidoptera, so Lepidoptera is butterflies moth, abounds in Batesian mimics. Right. Right. A lot of these, of like this looks like this and it doesn't get eaten, mm-hmm. so if I look like that, I won't get eaten. Right. Yeah. So, it's funny how that's, funny how it's sort of really prevalent in those specific mm-hmm. so like that particular group things so, that like, grow quickly and are prolific so there's a lot more that's true there's a lot of generations yeah, yeah that's true one particular swallowtail butterfly that's an African species many populations of the species the females are polymorphic which means they've got lots of different colorations and each morph being a mimic of a species of an in- inedible butterfly of another genus and all these populations the males are not mimics and they retain the same in the yellow and black pattern the presence of polymorphism coupled with the ability of specifically an entomologist that studies butterflies and moths is a lipidopterist to another vocabulary word of the yeah. uh, to breed to breed and rear this species in the laboratory makes this an app species for study of color inheritance yeah. because they can look at sort very of, quickly of you know okay this mm-hmm. was a, a purple morph and female so this so actually has purple. to do with gene expression that's switched on and off by other modifier genes and this sort of a central one the modifier genes reduce the number of possible morphs restricted by a number of different mimic sort of forms. As we talked about, Mullerian mimicry, all noxious and edible species all kind of look the same. Such groups, which are called mimicry rings, do often have associated Batesian mimics. It's not always easy to evaluate the palatability of members of such rings or distinguish them from other mimics. So this happens quite often in South Africa, Borneo, the tropical Americas, which contains unrelated insects of different types of beetles, butterflies, true bugs, and spider wasps that form these different where there's a whole big family of them that all kind of resemble each other yeah and some of them are bad and some of them are not you can have a bunch of these inedible butterflies we talked about sort of the maximum protection is gained by mullerian mimics when all the individuals employ the same signal so it's kind of that basic of this has to be no ambiguity right, right. like we know we know what that is that they have is unionized their mimicry they've unionized yeah. their mimicry yeah. 
Yeah, we all have to look the same or smell the same. Solidarity and poison. Yeah. yeah. Solidarity and poison. That's right. And <laughs> One so, of us is poisoned. All of us is poisoned. That's all. Yeah. Yep. And so they talk like aggressive mimicry is very abundant and varied. Different types. So they talk like parasitic worms that like pretend to be the tongues of fish. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've seen that. Mm-hmm. I remember those pictures. That, that is... That was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. So then there are some that like live in the intestines of other mammals and then pass into other right. things. Or like, I, I forget what it was. it was. There's a spider that looks like a certain kind of ant. Yes. And so it invades, it, it invades that ant colony. Did, yeah. Did you ever see the, um, so they use an example here, the disco snail? No, but that sounds fascinating. Okay. So there's, oh, God, if you look, yeah. yeah. It sounds fascinating. It's not. It is a no. parasite horrifying. that lives in the intestines of birds, passes out of the intestines of birds. They get into the water. The larvae infect them snail. It passes into the snail and gets up into the snail brain. Sure. Gets into it has a spore cyst which is a striking green color and bears these yellow brown rings which carries several sacks of spores which are placed in the snail's tentacles or eye stalks. Okay. Hey everybody, contact warning. Body horror. Yeah. The sack then begins to pulsate violently. Oh wow. 40 to 70 beats per minute. So the tentacle of the snail greatly becomes enlarged and is evolved as transparent covering the sporous fist. And so it actually does that to attract the bird because these eye stalks are like waving and pulsing with these multiple like, colors. Hey, don't you want to eat this? Don't you want to eat, eat this? this? Okay. So that is a type of like mimicry. Oh yeah. Oh look at that. But it's like a brain parasite. So when the snail appears with its conspicuous pulsing eye stalks, the birds mistake it for an insect or like a larva and bite them off and eat them. And that's where we... And then the cycle, circle of life. Circle of life. Circle of life. But then again, it's a little bit like with a cordyceps. Which right. are fungus that make ants go crazy and right. hang out at the end of grass and be like, eat me. We yeah. even talked about this, the ant mimicking spider at last episode, mm-hmm. right? Right. That would be another type. That's where I heard it from. Yeah. The last episode. <laughs> That's just going to be my thing now is I'm going to reference something that we did in the last episode, but be like, hey, I've heard about this from somewhere. somewhere. I don't know where I heard it from. <laughs> And so there is, there's like a particular type of locomotion by this other parasitic worm that an unusually large larval form, it does this sort of hopping mode. So it resembles like a swimming crustacean or a mosquito larva. So the fish mistake it for food and then will swallow it. Too bad it's a parasite. Insect alluring plants. That's just the title of the whole TV series. Just too bad it's a parasite. Yeah, yeah. too bad it's a parasite. Yep. Um, insect alluring plants. So this is where we get to the corpse flower. Mm-hmm. So this is your where you can get your parasitic plants that have like big nectar petals, right? Mm-hmm. That have these like glistening, sticky stuff. That's like, oh, this looks like nectar. It is not. It is now nectar. It is glue. It, it is, is glue. glue. Much this... like the D and D mimic, it's glue. Yes. Yeah. So basically, that's how like sundews work. Guess what? Most sundew stews are in Australia. Because of course they are. Look at this. Yeah, a relatively arid country that says, look at this thing that looks like delicious water. It's not water. It's not water. So then pitcher plants may have flower-like markings near their openings. So it's like, oh, look. You know, fall in the trap. Their Nepenthes is the genus that has the the most different types of pitcher plants. But I should say, so when it comes to carnivorous plants, the pitcher is the most common design. Because it's just a rolled up leaf. Yes. Right. It is a passive trap generally speaking. The, it, the lids never like shut, shut for the most part. I think there's yeah. a couple species that might but most of them don't. Don't. Yes. And so Nepenthes will secrete nectar at the lip of the pitcher. So that attracts the insect forcing them to land on this flower right and then fall in. It's also the ones that are in I think it's Borneo with the, the shrewlews. Yes the shrewlews same thing. Where they have a sweet nectar and the shrews come up but it's um, it's a laxative. It's a laxative. And oh. So then they get their nitrogen from the mammal poop. Ah, okay. They poop into the pitcher. Wow, that that must be a powerful laxative if it's like literally like right away. Super Mm -hmm. colon blow. Whoa. Mm -hmm. There's also where they talk about there is... I'm going to eat those during my next cleanse. Right. Right. On the toilet. Thunder bucket. Prepare to meet your greatest challenge. (laughs) Uh, So mimicry of reported vertebrates of the so-called cleaner fish. So that is that they will evolve 
involve shape, coloration, behavior, but there's like the wrasse in the Indo-Pacific Ocean, known as a cleaner fish because it removes and eats external parasites, and occasionally damaged skin fragments from other marine fish. It will occupy and do these other cleaning stuff, and other fish are attracted to the conspicuous black and white coloration of the cleaner by its dance-like swimming patterns. And so it will, you know, do this sort of thing. So like even large predatory fish will allow themselves to be clean because they're like, hey, this is actually pretty great. Right, that's when you see the sharks swimming. Yeah. But then the... also at these cleaning stations is quite another n- of fish, the saber-toothed blenny. With the what? The what now? Saber tooth blenny. So that's oh, your blenny. Rats. I thought you said bunny wrong. No, blenny. So that's the yeah. ras, like that very yeah. classic, like yeah, yeah, yeah. long so, linear like, streaks. So say all these predatory fish like come to the corals, like you know, ras are around, and they're like, yes, I want to clean. The saber tooth blenny, similar size, coloration, swimming behavior, even does the same sort of dance thing. But what happens is it will come up and be like, yes, I'm going to clean you, and then will bite off a piece of fin. Wow. <laughs> like a semicircular piece of fin from the victim and eats it. And having been repeatedly bitten this way, fish become trustful, distrustful of even towards genuine Because they got big, huge yeah, like, yeah. fangs to dig mm-hmm. in and bite off a hunk. Because wow. That takes some real fish balls. Right? It's just, just Come so up and bite a chunk out of a shark, shark and be like, right? yep, see ya. Whoosh. See ya. Whoosh. And so observations in the wild that indicate that younger fish are usually the principal victims of this mimic. And older fish will, you know, avoid it whenever possible. Right. Because they have experience with it. But they may not figure out the way to discriminate between the sure. two. Yeah, they both are like this long, longitudinal white and black, like, body length stripes. Now, they have done experiments where they've kept them in aquariums, and eventually an older fish will figure out which one which, which ones which, are the which good guys, and which ones are not so great. I don't know, I'd be like, I'm a shark, I can just eat all of you. You wanna play games? You wanna play games? Yeah, we'll play, play games. games. Gonna play I some am stupid games, gonna win some stupid prizes. Apex. Yeah. A form of uh, aggressive mimicry that relies entirely on behavior occurs in certain North American fireflies. Mm-hmm. Males of these familiar night-flying beetles emit light bursts in flight according to highly specific patterns. Okay. Females who are stationary respond to the flash patterns of the males of their own species with specific patterns of their own. The flying male responds to the appropriate female singing by approaching, landing, and courting. Most adult fireflies are short-lived, don't feed at all, but the females of the genus Photorus have been found to feed on other beetles, including males of a different genus. So, it, you know, it's tough to be a male bug. Upon, yeah. Upon it really is. Upon re- perceiving a flashing male of this other genus, the female responds with a flash that mimics the slower response time of the female in his species. And then she has a snack. And then she ate. I mean, it's you know, like even male bees, you know, get mm-hmm. some honey, you nut, and you die. Yep. Honey nut Cheerio. <laughs> oh, no! So, no! How dare you! And then you dabbed. And then you dabbed. Stolen straight from Twitter. (laughs) Oh, I'm so Uh, upset. That's not going in the podcast. (laughs) So we talked about other behavioral things like cuckoos, for example. Yep. So these are like brood parasites. Now, cuckoos are not the only birds that do this. Then then you have also, so I sort of mentioned earlier when you first brought up the aggressive mimicries, things like an orchid mantis where it's like, look, I am beautiful flower. Come down, land here, I eat you. So, um, I'm not going to get, they they go into a little bit of, like, brood, brood parasites and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so then there is mimicry to affect pollination and dispersal. So here's where we get into some of, like, the orchid stuff. There are lots of orchids that mimic other flowering plants. Most flowering plants, different angiosperms, they have, if they are pollinated, not all, like, pollinated by an animal. Not all of them are. Yeah, so they, wind. Yeah, wind. they will offer nectar. As a reward, right? right to Come get this sweet sugary uh, snack. You right. Get this and, sugary uh, snack, and then take, take this, this with you. Take this with you. With yeah. you. There are Rub this on of, your feet and then go. There are a bunch of orchids which will resemble other flowers, but won't give any nectar at all. Oh, just the worst. <laughs> just the worst. There are groups Which, of orchids. That's that's the mimic. Show up, expect treasure. Oh, no treasure. Okay, now now this gets even weirder. So there's groups of orchids with deceptive names of fly orchid, bee orchid, spider orchid, who actually mimic the insects themselves. The best known type of these orchids are in the genus Orphyrus, which the labellum or lip of the flower is specialized medium pellet that acts as a dummy female okay. of a species of bee orchid. Or wasp resemble so close that the males visit the flower and attempt to copulate with the dummy female. Again, consent, people. <laughs> consent. But because Oh no, I think the flower's into it. 
in the yeah, I mean, honestly, yeah, maybe. But in the course of foreplay and sex, I could say the scientific terms, but that's, that's like, what Come it on, is. it's foreplay. The visiting insect acquires pollen sacs from the orchid. And then since he goes to... Yeah, go, he does. And then he goes to bang another orchid... <laughs> Very scientific. Paul pollinates that orchid and transmits so, into other blossoms. At least someone is getting their sex Fil- out of it. Filthy bugger. What a filthy Somebody bugger. Somebody is having a good time. There is... Yeah, so this... And this is actually so, not terribly uncommon. So, yeah, the wasps are just acting as the, the flower fluffer. They call it... Uh, yeah, essentially. So the term is pseudocopulation. Right? Yeah, uh, okay. No, I think one of the I, things it, it sounds like just straight up copulation. I don't think there's anything pseudo about it. <laughs> the, the flower's definitely getting there. Somebody's definitely getting some. The wasp certainly thinks it is. Uh, yeah. Yes. And really, if you think you're getting some, aren't you really just getting some? Yeah. No, but yeah. No, but yeah, but no. But no, but yeah. But yeah, the the famous example there, of course, is the there's an XKCD, and I, I don't know if he ever dictates the the exact species, but. Apparently, like, there was an orchid that has developed that mimicry for a bee that is extinct. Like, it still manages to be pollinated by other things, but, like, the shape is for a bee that, like, we've never found this bee. Right. Nothing looks right. Ghost bee. Yeah. The thing is, besides the... It's a very rare superhero, the ghost bee. Yeah. The ghost bee. So, besides having, like, coloration, and also mm-hmm. I talked into here, like, that there's certain things that have... That if the um, flower surface looks more velvety, then, like, shiny is also more attractive to the bees or wasps. Sure. A lot of bees are fuzzy. Fuzzy. Yeah. Um, but then odor also plays a big role. So, this is the... Mm. These are the biochemical, biochemical. things. Right. So, yeah. the thing is, the flower will also emit a sexy pheromone. That's the axe body spray. Yes. There it is. Yeah. Some of them will, pr- not all of them, but some of them will produce orders which are similar, not identical, but close enough that this... It's hatchet body spray. This, 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 this horny male will come over anyway. So then we get into things like you talked about carrion flowers, stink horns and mosses. Because nothing like, says, you know, delicious. Like nothing says I love you like a rotting corpse. Right? <laughs> Name of my new band. Name yeah. of my new band. Name of your new band. For carrion flowers, like the deception is so complete that blowflies will actually lay their eggs in the flowers like right. it is a corpse right. but it's just to get them to pollinate right. yeah definitely an, an emo band though oh for mm-hmm. sure no, nothing says i love you like a rotting, rotting corpse. corpse yeah, yeah definitely yep. a screamo <laughs> um, so there are also certain plants which actually to spread their odor across a wider area increase their own temperature so that it's so hot rotting corpse. yes it's very Excellent. nice. Excellent. That's your band name. Yeah, yes. there it is. That's a that's um what is called a cuckoo. It's, it's rockabilly though. So yeah. so it's also an arum. So the um but it's a it's a cuckoo pin or cuckoo pint. God, it's, God it, bless you. Yeah, I know. Come to borrow a pint of cuckoo. I, will, I know. Like a pint of cuckoo, and please. so it's an elaborate mechanism ensures <laughs> my cuckoo powder. But it ensures <laughs> that the pollen laden visitor remains long enough to deposit sort of the all the pollen and stuff. So would that include I'm trying to remember the name now. There's the like the first spring ephemerals that come through the snow that were real stinky the the skunk cabbage skunk cabbage yep come one, that it, it produces it, the heat, heat. yep it to produces, come the snow it produces heat to melt the snow around it and also oh, okay. will attract insects because it's warmer sure than the, but it smells like rotting cabbage but like in this plant, just the for worst example, sauerkraut yeah, yeah man in this plant Must for example German. like the sheath of the floral structure is slippery by oil droplets so the insect slides down into the cup and is equipped and which has a ring of spines the other way. Stop this face. No, I mean, listen, okay. it's the face is all he needs to make. I know. <sighs> it, so it can't climb out, so then it will deposit pollen at the bottom, yeah. which it does receive nectar, and will hang out there during the night, and then in the morning, it's like, okay, you stayed long enough, and the spines shrink, and then it can fly away. Sex and food, that's all That's all nature cares about. I sex mean, and food. I mean... You just lube up the hot rotting corpse meat smell. The, nature is... But there sometimes it's crypto both. bros. But there, yeah, but there, nature is crypto bros. There are like orchids and other flowers which have like a one way entry, and they yep. will trap the insect in there overnight, and then like a little hatch will open, and they're like, "Okay, now you can go. You can go do your walk of shame now." Oh, yes, it's re- quite literally what happens. God, I'm going to kidnap you. Yeah. I'm this going is, to kidnap you. This is part of my... This is the flower that's not asking consent. No, no it, it really, does no, not. No, really not. It really doesn't. So I forgot about this, and it's an unfortunate genus name. Okay. Mm-hmm. We gotta hear it now. Similar situation. Yes, yes. found in stinkhorn mushrooms of the genus Phallus. Well, here we go. It's called a stinkhorn. Stink it's horn. in the dick genus. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all yeah. there. Yep. It's all coming together. It's all coming together, folks. But... 
It also has smells like carrion, right? And yeah. it will get eaten by these other insects. Then get, so like they the crypto bro who doesn't wash down there. Right. Yeah. But then they'll get covered in spores, right? Which Again, it's a good thing dispersed. we discovered these like centuries ago where like they tried to class it up. Like, yes, it's stink horn, not just like smelly dick mushroom. <laughs> the smelly dick mushroom. Then there are some mosses which have a carrion-like odor, but then there are other ones which their little spore, their little like spore guys that come up look like flowers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they'll attract insects, and then that's how they do their spores and stuff. Smelly dick mushroom. Yes, thank God when we were when we were not when we were more mature and discovered these things. Not the not the peop, not the scientists of Arrested Development that we're in now. Like call it some kind of penis. Yeah. I'm sorry. I just saw the the, the beginning of this little subsection, which is defensive egg dummies. I'm sorry. What'd you call me? I just go on. Yeah, go on. Mm-hmm. Several species of passion flower and cruciferous plants decrease their attractiveness to ovipositing female butterflies by producing pigmented... Basically, they produce little bumps and stuff on them that look like eggs of other insects. So they've got just like little pigmented calli. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just little lumps of like cells just to set up to look like... And so it's so like, oh, I'm going to lay my eggs here because there's those ant eggs over there or whatever are going to eat them. Yeah, my... and so the female will visually look at the... My egg the... lumps bring all the boys to... To the yard. Yes. Yeah. I hate this term. Females visually assess the egg load on individual <laughs> host plants. Yeah, it is. And Woof. will avoid points that are already occupied. So if you... <laughs> I'm sorry. No, 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 it's not that. My brain just filled in immediately like the, it's the, the equivalent of like walking into a restaurant bathroom and all the stalls are full, but there's always that one guy that's got to go around and knock just to check. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's like, occupied. Like, mm-hmm. It's the plant equivalent of that. Like, no, right. no, no, no. The stalls are full. No, it's all full. And so... No, tell me more about this egg load. <laughs> yeah. No, that was it. That was it? All right. Well, basically... Everything you ever the, wanted to know. If you everything you, if everything you, you ever wanted to know about egg load. Re- yeah, if you remove the egg mimics, that significantly increases the probability, right, of, you know... So if you decrease actual, the egg load, then more real eggs will show, show up. Show up, yeah. yes. So then we talked about That's earlier... That's how that works. Earlier mimicry we'll be back with, and in greater numbers. Mimicry within species. Where it's like okay. we have to have these we have to have the model, the mimic, and the receiver. Mm-hmm. But they can't all be within the same species. Unless you're a cuttlefish. And yeah. like it well, that's what I'm saying. Like they're using this as an example. It's like most of the time they're different, right? right. But right. in this case, you can't. Well, I mean have nature's it all. always full of exceptions to every rule anyway. Right. So yeah, that doesn't you know So like mimicry of the host by a parasite, like the host species is both the model and the receiver. So the real and weekend re- at Bernie's type of deal where right. it's like, no, this I'm still a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There can be like different like types of mimicry for, you know, mating. There can be types of one with like the angler fish, for example, you know, like that sort of thing. Well and even with, like the auditory ones, it's the like you know, oh, I want my predators to go away, so I'm going to sound like a big scary thing. Right. Like mockingbirds will do that, or I need to lure something in. Or like uh, those, I think they were otters in the Amazon. This is not mimicry, but it's it's something similar. Like, uh, I think they were otters in the Amazon whose natural enemy, so to speak, were alligators. Mm-hmm. And it was because alligators need subterfuge yeah. to effectively hunt. Whereas the otter's tactic was just to swarm the alligator and just start screaming really really loud as if to suggest hey guys there's a there's an alligator over here there's an alligator over here to everybody in the forest and then you know the alligator snaps at him but he's too slow and the otter always gets out of the way so he just swims off yeah (laughs) just frustrated like you guys are no fun yeah yeah it's in that vein of like we're going to use the auditory signal. We're using like, auditory signals to really just fuck up your day. Mm-hmm. They're talking about, like, the different sort of, real, like, you know, insects that can resemble a wasp, or we're talking about ones that resemble, like, a twig, right? Yep. And you're talking about, twig, like... Uh, twig bug. Like, twig bugs, you know, and that sort of thing with, like, stick caterpillars, and so, like, they resemble twigs. And, like, are... mantids are famous for that. Yeah. Like, praying mantises, almost all of them, because they're... Ambush they predators. have some way of it's like well I mean like even like the default just praying mantis like they're generally like that bright spring like green they look like a leaf yeah. yeah but like there are just dozens if not hundreds of different like orchid mantises and like you know peony mantis like all name a flower there's probably a mantis they look like something that some other creature wants to take a bite out of yeah but then they take a bite out of you mm-hmm. well and they mention this here too where it's like praying you know, mantises you have... are basically the H R Geiger designed a bug 
Mm-hmm. Kind of, yeah. Well, it's like Plus extra spines and weird protrusions. Fish or like different butterfly wings and stuff like that where they look like they have eyes on different parts of their yeah. body. Yeah, eye spots. Where right. they, yeah, yeah it's the, I have a spot like on my tail so that I, no, mm-hmm. things that are going to try and sneak up and like get you from behind don't know which end to come after. That's sort of the, the mimicry and the trick there generally. At least the way that I've always heard it presented is like, yeah, the, the eye spots are like either I'm watching you so you can't ambush me or it's the like, which end are you coming after? Uh, which way am I going? Am I going backwards? Am I going forward? And that's, I mean, that's even a, a trick and, you know, again, how well it works that even humans, to an extent, use that, like, auto-mimicry against, like, tigers and big cats. Yeah. That you wear a mask on the back of your head with, like, a painted human face so that, because, because big cats... It's about stealth. Right. They're not going to attack you if they think you're, you're staring at them. You're staring at them. Now, that would not be the trick you'd want to use if you were dealing with, like, say, gorillas. Like yeah. that's, that's a way to get beat. Right. Gorillas don't care. Yeah, well, they don't want to be... The staring to them is an aggressive action. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just talks about, like, sort of, when it comes to some of these parasites and stuff, they call it, like, the boomerang effect, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's the, you know, you are wanting... They use the, cu- the cuckoos, for example. The more successfully a bird rears young cuckoos, the more certain it will lose its own young because... Because they were all killed off by the young cuckoo. But parasites that are too successful therefore harm themselves. Mm, For each female cuckoo needs several nests of the same host species for her eggs. So in an area that contains particularly successful cuckoos, like so they usually parasitize reed warblers. The number of reed warbler nests decreases every year. To the point where they can't find as many nests the following year. Well, the percentage of nests parasited by the cuckoos increases for each year. So this ratio means that the cuckoo that is too well adapted reduces the availability of its own Hopes. And eventually kills itself because right. it has no place because it's not going to rear its own kids because you know it's because an it's asshole. an ab- it's an absentee parent. So yeah. latchkey kids, the whole lot of them. So presumably, selection in both directions produces this sort of continual oscillation in a density of hosts and cuckoos. Right. So yeah. it's like eventually the cuckoo population would go down too much. Right. And then, then the, the warblers go back up again, and then yeah. it falls. Yeah, so it's constantly sort of right. self balancing. It's the similar dilemmas afflicted on human beings who act as predators against weeds and crop fields when mm-hmm. you think about it right by win- winnowing the selected wanted seeds from the usually smaller wheat so the flax daughter is a creeper that grows around flax and linseed and damages them and originally had small seeds that could be easily separated from the larger flax seeds you could just you know use like tray. a shaker tray yeah. or cheese cloth by a mutation that produced twin seeds the daughter evolved the capability of being separated out and planted with the desirable flax seeds so now you can't separate them out anymore so this mutant of the flax daughter is now cultivated and spread by growers despite their own interests because in this case the parasite mimics the protected plant receives the same protection yeah in this case sure knowing humans they'll just figure out some use for the parasitic plant (laughs) yeah exactly that's basically a main sort of overview but like i thought we came up with a lot of different examples as i said mimicry is rampant in biology it's just a thing that happens all the time all over the place i just realized this as two of the such creatures are sitting in the room even like some of the recent research with you know auditory mimicry is there's a creature in our own house that exhibits mimicry. Cats amongst themselves don't meow very often. Right. It's a lot of communication through body language, through hissing, through like sub-auditory vocalizations for us, like low growling noises. But they retain and use meows to speak to humans. Right. Well, the thing is, they're like almost any, you know, domestic cat vocalization is in an auditory range to a human sounds like an infant and that like infant cry triggers the like er proto lizard monkey what do you brain. Want? what do you need what do you need what do you need that, like yeah. i must look after you child you're you're in danger and it's like no it's just a cat being a jerk yeah. and yeah. demanding a it's just, more crunchy it's just a cat being needy but i mean how many different bird species mimic other bird species right, right? yeah or not even bird species you know Liar birds, Liar like birds chainsaws, and right. chainsaws and sirens. And sirens. Or, or even just like parrots and their form of vocal mimicry. Mm-hmm. Where they can and mimic. corvids. Ravens. And corvids corvids and crows, yeah. yeah. Starlings do it. Yeah. You know, you have cowbirds and catbirds, different ones that are mimicking completely, you know, different species, mockingbirds. And all of those I are I mean, different. it's right in the name, mockingbird. Yeah. And, those yeah. all are different types of behavioral mimicry right. that they use for a variety of different purposes. Some of which aren't always clear when it's a chainsaw. <laughs> yeah. 
what advantage the the sound of a laser <laughs> gun or a chainsaw Saw. or a liar birds in zoos will mimic the weirdest stuff. I think it's I re- just an intrinsic thing. I think I remembered watching one it was in a British museum somewhere. Someone made a video of it, and I guess the the people who worked there had played a lot of Star Wars mm-hmm. for it, so it was mimicking lightsaber duels and like you know the the <laughs> phasers, like yeah. all of it, all, and like really well. Yeah, that's the thing is they are like alarmingly good at this. You can see where in nature it's like, oh yes, you know, I'm gonna make sounds that are like things to avoid, or I'm gonna trick other birds into like coming and helping me forage for food or something. That it's like they can't turn off that behavior, and so they'll just mimic any old noise that's yeah, they around. Just, they just yeah, they hear anything they mimic. Engine them. noises and you know, construction workers and Polly want a cracker. Yeah, toys, cell phone ringing. You know, like those are great. Those are great. Yeah, when everyone looks at their phone, you know, with this. and it's like it's the bird that's sitting over there in the corner. Yep. Well, I think that's enough for me. Signs, you have any questions for me, Bruce? I'm good. All right. I think we answered all questions. All right. Cool. And some we didn't even want answered. There were some As questions said, we didn't some, think to ask. There were some that But I'm then like, they were mm, asked and answered. Mm, yeah. Mm. So then the question becomes, if you need to bring a mimic in to your D&D game, unfortunately, you know, we don't have a... The, the polar mimic or the giant water mimic or anything like we've had in the past. And there's not necessarily a real-world example of a mimic as an amorphous mass designed to screw over adventurers. Your your BMW is not going to, to grow a tongue. Not yet. Somebody's into that. In any event. But, but as far as using this in your game, is it's like you can still use natural mimicry as kind of a source of inspiration. Well, one of the things I was going to say was like, the mimic in the books, it seems to only be visual. Whereas... But- nature demonstrates that there's a whole bunch of different sensory input that gets mimicked. And, you know, depending on how much you want to lean into the, the language portion of their skills, that, right. can, that can give yes. you some of it, but it's, to me, like, the auditory is probably, unless it's the sound of, like, something slapping down a hallway. I don't know that they possess the needed well, system to but be it auditory. But it doesn't have to just be auditorial. Like, right off the top of my head, it's like, okay, a mimic that is pretending to be an apple pie. Well, it can also definitely smell like one, too. Right. There's the biochemical portion of it. There's the biochemical portion of that. If you really want... This is not necessarily something I would do, because I don't necessarily like charm effects in a game, Mm -hmm. but if if you're getting down to, like, that biochemical reactive thing... It could definitely be a charm effect thing, where it's like, like a friend's got, spell. Or you something. gotta you gotta roll well, against it because it's just affecting it. That chemical thing is just reacting to you in a certain level. Well, have your impersonating mimic be a dog, be the party's dog, <laughs> and then the party's dog comes around the corner. But then also you have you know you have behavioral things. So like if you're a mimic and you're in a dungeon that has like hanging sconces and there's some sort of like breeze, you can intentionally like swing back and forth to mimic that behavior. Or that's be the a, pendulum in a clock. Well, that's that's the thing. It's like be curtains. It's not be a curtain mimic. Mm-hmm. The mimic doesn't just mimic something that's in the dungeon. They're mimic, mimicking something in the dungeon that is reasonably predictive to be interacted. Someone with. will be interact with it at some point because that's sort of the whole point. Yeah, so like, yeah, so the, with the curtains, you don't necessarily want to be the curtain, you want to be the rope. The yeah. curtains are going to be part of the, the illusion. The curtains can just be the curtains, the rope is is the what you want to be. And yeah. if you give it some illusory powers, where it's like, oh, this door creaked open. Or you hear the creaking of the door. A mimic, right? with, a mimic with the minor illusion cantrip yeah. is actually pretty effective. Or, uh, mm-hmm. ghost sound, I think it is, in 5th edition 2, that's like, so it's like, here's a slamming door. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, adventurers are going to want to go down whatever hallway that is. Well, you make that sound like sound like it's coming from down the hallway when it's really in your body right. as a mimic mm-hmm. to be like, oh yes, then they'll come over to this door to look for what moved over this way, and then ah. So you could do it that way, as you said. You know, your mimic that's the apple pie. I had pillow mimics once. My brother is never going to forgive me. Yeah, tell the so- story. Yeah, tell the story <laughs> with the pillow mimic. So it started with my brother was playing Halfling Room, who he decided to be a kleptomaniac because he wanted to be, and they found a treasure chest, like ooh treasure, right? And it was a mimic. And and he got swallowed by said mimic. And the party helped him and all this other stuff in his time. But he was just so ticked off that he didn't check or notice it. And so then I just started putting mimics like everywhere. So I did have a port where it's like, oh, this is like this wonderful room with his big cushy bed and all this other stuff. It's like, ah, oh, man, I need a really long rest or whatever. And why so I did, rest? why not a long rest? And we had several pillow mimics. And so this became a reoccurring thing. Right, yeah. <laughs> throughout the entire campaign. And I had like a last game we're playing and I hadn't done it for 
a while. So his guard had gotten down. We were doing something and he does end up getting grabbed and like swallowed. And he's like, no, you didn't do this to me. You did not do this to me again. And so then I'm playing with my good friend, Adriel, right? Who goes and saves him. And she's just like, oh, I can heal you. He goes, just let me die. Just, At just, this point. just leave me. Yeah. <laughs> An embarrassment of moving. So, I'm so... So, so two, so two more ideas. First one I had was, this is sort of like, if you remember Pink Panther, the movie Pink Panther, where he had that assistant, I don't remember his name, whose job it was, was always to get the drop on him and jump on, you know, yeah. you know, and, and pop out of somewhere and, you know, ah, and then sort of attack him. Just have the mimic, this is their trainer. And every now and yeah. then, he just, he's not trying to kill him, but just every now and then, just like, ah, you gotta be ready for anything. <laughs> yeah. It, it literally just harassed them over and over. And then the other idea I had was, which is again something that is a lot more prevalent in his nature, is not just mimicry as a predatory activity, but also to avoid predation. And that's probably like your juvenile mimics. It's probably, that's yeah. the learning phase is like, I learned to do this so to this, avoid being eaten. Yeah. So like flip the script on it and do like, this is a mimic who is pretending to look like a giant red dragon. And so you turn the corner and holy crap, there's a giant red dragon and you're like a party of level threes and it's just looking at you menacingly. Maybe you can run away. Maybe you should run away. But maybe it's a mimic. <laughs> Right. Even worse, though, is the fact that, like, you know, mimics are generally not that big. But it's the fact that they have, like, the... Or the, it could be one of those mimic colonies. Mm-hmm. It, well, it's a mimic colony, but the other option, then, too, would be it's a single mimic, but instead of being a door, it is, like, the acme-painted tunnel. Oh, from, yeah. Like, you know, Wile E. Coyote, but with a dragon in it. Yeah. It's just, like, a sleeping dragon head, and right. it's, like, it's using its color mimic to, like, make it look like the nostrils are sort of flaring with right. light. But it's just, like, flat against the wall. It's flat against the wall. It's complete that. bullshit. I yeah. love that. That yeah. would be so smoke and mirrors. Or you could have your juvenile mimic that's like hiding in your tavern or your base or whatever that's pretending to be just a dusky bottle on a shelf or a book, right? Or a teacup. And for some reason surprisingly you don't have a mouse problem anymore. Yeah. I was just about to say that like (laughs) because the fact that like they're neutral and it's like as long as they're fed they're generally not going to bother anything. Right. But for some reason now you no longer have any mouse problems. It's not that you have a full colony. you You don't have to send any uh, adventurers into the basement to kill the giant rats. Yes, yeah. exactly. It's that, you know, you have mimics, but the thing is, because, again, they are ambush predators, instead of being treasure, they hide as, like, a partially eaten piece of cheese that's fallen on the floor, and, like, the right. mouse comes over, and then it's like, gotcha. Blah, 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 gotcha. So Sorry, it's the, like, you have, and maybe that's an exterminating service. That, they're, like, they're the they have a, a set of, you know, in the way that, like, people would deal God, with... God, that's, that's something Omen would come up with. Yes, is it's like... Tame, tame, tamed uh, mimic uh, extermination service. Well, but you think we about it, call you know, Jerry. it's the <laughs> right, but you know the the breeding for terriers. A lot of smaller terrier type dogs was to deal with rodents, right? Deal with yeah. varmints that's on your they, estate. That's why they're so small. Well, shit. That's why these fuckers are supposed to be around too. Yeah. Well, but part of it too is a <laughs> lot not of that they do anything. <laughs> cats, cats. But with terriers too, is like the breeding. A lot of them are bred where like their tails are exceedingly like stiff and tough that you can grab them by the tail and like drag a dog out of a hole with a rat in its mouth. So it's like, in, you know, but the same instance, instead of having, like, a whole group of terriers go after, like, your rodent problem, your, you know, local exterminator in some town rolls up with a bunch of glass cages with this amorphous stuff in it, and they just, like, set them in dark corners and let them do their thing. All right, folks, how many mimics you need? Yeah. You know. And as they roll in there, they set out three or four juvenile mimics, and yeah. they're like, we'll be back in a week. Mouse yeah, we problem have, will be solved. Yeah, we have this, we have this humongous groundhog don't, problem. Don't touch them. You know, we have this humongous groundhog don't, problem uh, on the manor, you know. You know, just throw a couple. They'll don't be do fine. any interactions. They'll be fine. Yeah, they'll be fine. And then when, once they've taken care of the groundhog problem, now they're starting to get hungry. Then you put the bait back out. You collect your mimics. Bring them back to. Bring them back in. All right, here you go. Good boy, Jerry. But yeah, so it's it, there's ways to use them. It's not even because that's again, the thing. Is like I'd like I'd like to use them in non-combat scenarios. And it's sort of where instead of it's them trying to be something innocuous as an ambush, them trying to be something menacing so that you don't interact with them. Yeah, it's and very. Then, and maybe, like and then maybe the party's uh, the party's mission is like, you gotta go find this mimic. He's got this thing that I need. 
this MacGuffin that I need. You got to go find him. And so then you get to do like this goofy chase. Putting right? their role as a, as a guardian, like the traditional, like uh, the wizard did it. Like they're gonna guard the treasure because, like, haha, you got the treasure. Oh, it's not treasure. Oh no. Well, you know, you know how expensive giant red dragons are. This is much cheaper. This is yeah. a much cheaper option. So much cheaper. I feed them a party of adventurers once a month. Problem solved. Yeah, and that's where it's and the, because of the like the telepathy and the language of like a mimic colony, it's almost one of those that like in the right setting it's one of those like yeah we don't go to that town because it's not actually a town it's it's trying to be a town but we keep it around and appeased because then like when we do need something like when we need a cleanup job on like we just everything goes there that's the other thing that's the death care right like there is no crematorium there is no cemetery you feed your dead bodies to the mimic colony that's the other thing that would make that if you're going to do the mimic colony type of thing really ups the ante is like okay these mimics they're trying really hard but there's something off there's always a little something here or there that's like teacups don't look like that what's going on here it's it's way too thick of a and no teeth you gotta why is, lose the teeth why why is why why is this cabinet slobbering i just yeah. like it's just little things here in the corner of your eye that like wow they're trying really hard but they don't quite get it and it's just worse because now it's everything's like the cabinets are always sticky yeah well, and you mentioned jerry earlier where he was like there was an adventurer who had a dog quote unquote yes that was a mimic that that would say woof. Yeah. Like the actual word. Yeah, like the right? word woof. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm like I am a dog, you know. It's, it's just not like doing a particularly good job. Not yeah. a particularly good job. Doing its very best approximation of what a dog should look like, you know. It was it was given at the old college trying. Yeah. Use a mimic, you know, you got a, a bar in a seedy area that's like when we get a real problem, we don't have a bouncer. We just listen, man, come back here back in the storeroom with me and you trick him into grabbing in the door. That's not a door. Or like this is your your this is your bouncer. In that people just don't leave. Like, if if you really tick us off, mm-hmm. problem solved. So it's, I think there's probably quite a few ways that you can delve into that. Hey, if you had, like, table scraps or were worried about, like, cleaning up your table. It's the magical disposal. The magical disposal. Mr. Fusion. What if you trained a mimic that's a table, like in a bar? Everybody leaves. They leave like their stuff. Every it's, every table's a mimic. Every table's a mimic. Every table's they take they they take the stuff. They spit the plate back out. Yep. But they have eaten all the crumbs and everything. They're appeased because they're getting food. They're getting food all the time. And then you don't have to bust tables anymore. Theme restaurant. It's a mimic cafe. The mimic yes. cafe. It's like a cat cafe. If you're doing but it, way worse. <laughs> you're doing like uh, spell jammer. Oh, the mimic is pretending to be the engine. Just feed it garbage. It'll fusion will occur. We'll get uh, we'll get uh, propulsion. We take, we take the heat from the mimic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We convert that into propellant mass. Hot rotting corpse. That's the name back. It's the name of the ship. The, See, that's the MS I, hot rotting corpse. Yeah. Well, it's because I worried about that, like in the different crematorium and the areas of like in the hive and like Sigil, and I'm just like, this could have been solved. Just yeah. get yourself a mimic. There's enough things that eat corpses. Why is this necessary? <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, yeah, you don't get the same like horror effect you know but still yeah but things have to be logical sometimes you know (laughs) sometimes you have to inject a little bit of logic into your fantasy world not a lot just a little bit say i'm just imagine i'm just imagining just a mimic as like the in-sync garbage disposal for like everybody it's a living (laughs) yeah go full flintstones everything's instead of a dinosaur they're all mimics they're just they're trying their best they're mimicking dinosaurs that are Mm -hmm. household appliances Mm -hmm. that's a one shot this is a vacuum (laughs) cleaner printed that's a one shot. Alright, I think that's everything. You think so? I think that's everything. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, can I keep riffing on this? Probably. Well, I think what we'll do is we'll have an entire second episode that sounds exactly like this, but it's a mimic. <laughs> yeah. Yes. It'll have all the same words, mm-hmm. but very slowly it'll be drilling a hole into the listener's ears. Juvenile S- mimic Sucking AirPods. out his vital juices. <laughs> mimic AirPods. Mimic AirPods. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> mimic AirPods. Yeah, that's the worst. Well, then they just clean out the earwax. It's true. Actually, okay. That's the positive See, we were talking about That's the positive version. We the negative about... version is Captain, they put creatures in our bodies. Oh god, I can make it worse. No, nope, nope, no, no, nope. no. And that's the no, end of the episode. That's the end. Thanks everyone for listening. All questions, comments, or topics for future episodes, feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at Nat20Pod or email us at natural20podcast at gmail.com. Thank you to Embers Tide for our intro and outro music. As well, thank you to Burnham with three M's for our beautiful profile and banner artwork. And thanks to Matt Will Jackson for editing our rambling. He listens to our mistakes so you don't have to, selecting only the most premium nonsense for your listening pleasure.
And thanks to all of you, our listeners. We hope you'll keep rolling a natural 20. Thank you.